in Omaha, Nebraska, and welcome to the other kind of radio. See how fast I can say that. <laughs> Hope everybody's having a good week. The other kind of radio. This is episode 18. The other kind of radio. And I'm trying to turn down the music a little bit. There we go. Just, you know, ease people into the show. All right, we're wise. This is episode 18. We are jumping in the AV time machine. We are recording this one a little bit early because Todd is going on vacation. And uh, foolishly, he told me where he's going. So if you'd like, you, the kind listener, would like to join Todd on his vacation, he's going to Las Vegas with his family. So I think he's staying at the Sahara, and his room number will be three. Uh, my name is Jeff. I'm one of your hosts. Talk radio is a podcast that ping-pongs through all the facets of pulp culture. And I can't tell you, when I see the word facet, how bad I want to say faucet, which would be a little embarrassing. Um, I did look up on dictionary.com the definition of pop culture, because I, you know, I guess I should know. Uh, and its definition, cultural activities or commercial products reflecting, suited to, or aimed at the taste of of the general masses of people. Um, so there we go. That's what that is. A little, a little, a little deflating almost. Um, but that's okay. Cause it's Thursday as we are in the AV time machine. You will hear this on Sunday on this show. We're going to talk about the 2018 podcast awards in which you, the listener can go in and nominate us so we can be on the slate and possibly win an award. Todd's take on is going to be family vacation. Jeff's judgment on is going to be paddle boats. Fantasy Movie League update will be included as well. And then we're going to dive quickly into AFI Top 110th Anniversary uh, Films of All Time 30 through 21. Now at this point, I need to get him going here. He said he was set up and ready to go. He could be packing a suitcase. Todd, are you there? Are you there? Viva! Viva! <laughs> hey, Jeff, how's it going? <laughs> Do you like how I... Uh, Todd, a lot of kind listeners don't know this, but Todd put me in charge of planning his family vacation. And I tell you, I got you a good rate at the, at the Sands. It, yeah, and what I really appreciate is that you only made me work evenings as a dancer. <laughs> and I put you in room three. Wow. Room three is right next to, in between room two and four just in case you get lost. Jeff, you're always there to take care of me. <laughs> How's your week going? Is it going good so far? You know, it's uh, it's going okay in Dallas right now. You know, I should have warned you this in the pre-pro. We got like an ugly storm about to move through. So if I vanish, it's because the storm ate me up. This could, yeah. And then that, remember how we talked about how someone dying lifts the value? That would be Screw awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm willing to make a lot of sacrifices for this show, but I'm not dying, mister. I didn't say die. You said disappear. So I'll be like Dorothy gone up to the eyes. No place like home. No place like home. 
<sighs> well, welcome to the show, Todd. Uh, I know we're in a time constraint, so we are going to rock and roll. We're going to get, we're going to do this, and we're going to be as efficient as as efficient as possible, if I can say that. All right, first off, the 2018 Podcast Awards, ladies and gentlemen. The Other Kind Radio has registered, and we are available to nominate. How you do that is very simple. You go to www.podcastawards.com, and you register, and then you verify your email, and then you log in, and then you will see a whole slew of podcasts. And feel free to go and listen to any of those. Um, But uh, in the end, in our own selfish way, we kind of want you to go down to film and TV uh, looking under the there, and, and there's uh, you'll see that the other kind of radio is listed. If you could go ahead and nominate us, see if we can make that slate. I think uh, the polls are open until July 31st. We would be greatly appreciative. Um, I've looked at some of the other podcasts. They're pretty good. Uh, we have some stiff competition, as they would say. Uh, and I like what the podcast awards do. Uh, they seem to be a, a just kind of a regular old... You know, I don't want to say, I guess mom and pop, if you want to try and categorize it, but uh, they support what we do, Todd, and, and um, I'm glad that they're doing it, and hopefully we'll we'll uh, we'll make it there. Any thoughts? <laughs> Any thoughts? I, I, I would love that if people went out there and, and showed that support, but that, that was Jeff basically setting me up to say something that we didn't talk about before, so I sat there and I thought, well, what does he want me to say other than, you know what? I value doing this because just my friend. Oh, I get to talk about something I'm passionate about with a friend, and that's what I hope comes across in this podcast. And you know, when we hear that from time to time, from, from uh, again from people, that it sounds like friends talking. That's all we want. We want to be approachable podcasters. We want to be a pro- approachable pop culture ping pongers. Ping pongers. And I hope that that's worthy of your attention to go out and do this for us. And really, if we break it down on a on a logistical level. If we get recognized for some type of podcast award, it will help uh, maintain and uh, the uh, momentum that we have in the longevity of the show. We're going to keep doing it either way. Um, You're here. But I thought we'd just throw it out there. Thanks, Todd. Yeah, I just gave you, I just had a big old sloppy meatball and I just threw it in your lap and, and said, yeah, run with it. So good job. There's nothing like a meatball in your lap to leave a stain. <laughs> I think that's a. Uh, I think that's a, that should be a band name somewhere. Meat, meatball in the lap. All right, enough of that tomfoolery. Let's keep things moving. We're now moving into the segment known as Todd's Take On. Let's get that projector fired up. Projector's awfully quiet today. Oh, oh. All right, Todd. What's your take on today? So Jeff tried to, in the pre-pro, say, what are you talking about? And I said, God, Jeff, I've been so consumed with planning this vacation that the truth is, my take is on family vacations from this standpoint. How timely. You're going on a vacation to relax. Don't create all the stress in the world that you need to forget about for the first three or four days. It has been... Oh, thank you. Do I get one of those every time I make a good point? Thank you. So it has been a series of, hey, we're going to go somewhere. Where, after so many years, we're going to go somewhere that I actually wanted to go, which that's, I, don't, I really don't mean that as contentiously as it sounds. My wife usually picks a place. I just go this year. She's going to a place that I went as a kid and we get up there and it just becomes this cavalcade of, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And everybody's doing that. And when one of the things falls through, suddenly it's sour time. So 
all I'm going to do is I'm going to tell all of our lovely listeners out there, all of our kind listeners, if you're going to go do the vacation, make sure you tell everybody you love them when you go. Don't <laughs> take attention. That's that's Todd's words of wisdom for the day. <laughs> it is amazing how the vacation can become anything but. It's so much so you would think somebody, maybe in National Lampoon, has made a movie out of it. Right. Yeah, right. We'll work on the script. All yeah. right. Anything else you want to add? No, you know, I, I would love to tell people out there, there are a ton of things that you need to go watch, I, but I would be repeating myself because I just finished Handmaid's Tale season two yesterday and oh gosh, it's good, but <laughs> right. I, I swear I won't promote that show anymore. No, 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 no. I love the fact that you do. Fortnite's a great game. God of War 2 is great. Um, no, I think that's good. I think it's fantastic. Which, which I, I tried Fortnite again and, and it crashed on me the other day, Jeff, so I think it's telling me that maybe I shouldn't play it. Oh, Lord. All right, let's... Uh... Game. I'm sorry, I had the projector over you. What did you say? Nothing. I said I'm just old man Todd when it comes to games. Well, season five came out. Funny you mentioned that today, and it's uh, chock full of uh, fun. Now you can drive around in carts and all kinds of stuff. So uh, if you're Hang not on a second, this this game has seasons. Yes, season five. I'm so confused. Yes, yes. If you're not all, if you're not old like Todd and and <laughs> want to play a fun video game, uh, check out Fortnite. We'll we'll play it when you come up here. I'll, we'll okay. give it a go. Well, that's Todd's take on. Thank you, Todd, and safe travels to you and your family, and enjoy your vacation. Gracias. Jeff's judgment. This is going to be short as we are in a time constraint. Paddle boats, a great idea but a horrible execution so todd if they have paddle boats out there stay far far away from them okay tell us why jeff i'm just leaving it at that that's all i'm gonna say i got i you know i'm pretty safe to <laughs> say that i'm not gonna get in a paddle boat anyway good because i'm an accident waiting to happen i always am sometimes it's better if you don't tell people why if you just tell them don't and then, and then they'll go oh yeah that's pretty bad Okay. All right, that's Jeff's judgment. We're moving right, <laughs> we're moving right along, folks. We're getting along through the abstract things today. Yes, absolutely. Um, and that brings us to Fantasy Movie League. Week five. I've said it before, it's kinda like the talking head song that says same as it ever was. Jeff with the Majestic is just that. He's being majestic. He's won week five. He's in first place overall. I uh, He's willing to trust me again by trying to get an interview in, so let's listen to that interview now. So this is awkward. Uh, thanks, myself, uh, for that, <laughs> that lead-in. Uh, we were able to locate uh, Jeff, uh, who runs the Majestic, and he's on the phone now. Uh, welcome, Jeff. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Good to be here. We spent some time last week talking about uh, strategy and and all the tools that are available on the website with the Research Vault and everything. Um, I went in and thought I did some research and came up with a, a plausible solution. Um, however, uh, once again, you have uh, ruled the week. Uh, you came in at 109 million to my 96, to David's 95, to Todd's 94. So if you look at the grouping, um, the Sands, 
the Fabulous and the Rialto are neck and neck, uh, while the pro player at the Majestic is uh, well ahead. Um, did, were you were you keeping tabs on this during the weekend, or is it something you just kind of close your eyes and look up on Monday? No, normally I will. Normally I'll just I'll pop in, and it's they update it at random times. I think they don't do anything on um, they don't do anything. I don't believe on Saturday. So Sunday every now and then I'll pop in, but even when I've even when I've looked before, um, there was the the one week where I honestly thought that I had won, and then they brought in the actuals and like, oh no, you didn't win. <laughs> I didn't even, I, I, I had no idea. I just I thought, I was like, oh cool, I won. Well, and, um, and the weird thing was it started out, I, it started me out at a hundred million and you, I think a little bit above, but it was a much closer race. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. um, I dropped down to 96 and, and you went up. So you're right. The update times and frequency are kind of weird and, and, to me, I think you and I, you and I have known each other for a while. Uh, to me, I'm like, don't publish anything unless, <laughs> yeah, unless it's Just 90, wait. right, 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 right. 95% sure. Cause I, my, yeah. little, my little heart was happy. I, I went out and bought a puppy, you know, and then, <laughs> and then I had to take the puppy back. Cause you know, <laughs> Then that's awkward. Or you could even make it the the swing, just make it wild, you know, put the Rialto up by, you know, 10 million and put you down by 50 million. You know, yeah. Just make the swing huge. Like negative 50, like my right. theater's yeah. no longer you making money. Owe money. Right. You know, maybe a, an additional module I could add on this would be uh, uh, snacks and what snacks would go well with what, I don't know. Now I'm overthinking it. Either way, there's there's no such thing as a puppy for second place, so the puppy had to go back. Um, let's look at it overall, and then we'll talk about next week. I mean, I, I didn't want to whip you down again uh, with strategy and everything. You did a great job of explaining that Yes, uh, last uh, episode. So we'll just uh, run in the overall. So the Majestic uh, is in first place. Four wins out of the six weeks. I mean, it's, it's almost Patriot, i.e. Denver-esque, whatever team you like when they go on a run. To win four out of six is pretty good. You're sitting at $558 million. Uh, I'm in second place um, with no wins. So I have been con- <laughs> I have yeah, been consistent, yeah. Right. Um, at 501, Fabulous Fox uh, with David, our friends at the Everlasting Minute. At 491, uh, Rialto Todd. Uh, yeah, just sitting there in uh, in fourth place. Uh, pretty uh, pretty. Steady for him as well at 461. So all things being said, unless something major happens, like, I don't know, like there's a movie released later this afternoon that none of us know about. <laughs> you have more than kind of summed this thing up. And congratulations on that. And, and, and hopefully this week will go well. Thanks. So let's Thanks. talk. Let's okay. talk about week six. Let's talk about your picks. Um and then we can kind of get into a little discussion there. So I'm, I'm saying, ah, so I, I'm, I'm proud of myself. I'll put a little feather in my cap because I did the same thing. I had the Transylvania movie in, and then the my my Jedi, you, I could hear your voice say, go with two skyscrapers. Yep. Yeah, I saw that. I, I, and I think the, uh, I, I guess, I'd like to think that um, the, the last week's episode kind of shined a little bit of light because the picks are are noticeably different this week than they were previous yes so that's good yeah that's yeah good. we're learning it should be yeah 
I only went a little heavy, and then you went with the, and this, I'm going to have to remember how to say this movie name again, Sicario. You went with a couple Sicarios. Um, my father has uh, made me aware, as my, my browser is now going crazy, and I no longer have the list in front of me. Here we go. Um, of the movie, Sorry to Bother You. And it's supposed to be a bit of a sleeper success. Oh. So that's, but that's again, that's that's pop news. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that could be, but that's why I went with that. Um, I also threw tag in there because it, it's funny. Uh, your your words ring true and ring strong, because um, I saw that this past week tag got a bunch of. Uh, media boosts Mm -hmm. um they were on some morning talk shows and some other stuff talking about how it's a real based on a real story and everything else so i went with tag because i figured maybe some of that'll pay off and maybe some people will go see it and then uh yeah the whitney i just i don't know how that's going to do so you after sicario went back to uh uh was it? Won't you be my won't, neighbor? Won't yeah. you be my neighbor? I tr- yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna do more. Won't you be my neighbor? Just because it's, it's still, I mean, it's still trending on the up, um, but I just, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't leave a screen blank. So right. I just threw in, uh, threw in a couple of "Won't you be my neighbor" and then rounded it out with a, with a Deadpool. And is Sicario doing pretty good? I haven't even looked at that. It's not doing. It's, it's middle of the road. Mm. Um, it's there's there's probably I'm looking at the the little pop up and there's there's roughly 40 45% of theaters are picking it oh. um and it's overall it's not doing terrible it's still it's just middle of the middle of the road it's good filler i'm i'm like you i'm counting on that double showing of uh, skyscraper right right now to step away from our own league have you been have you been peeking and looking at how you're doing at the FML league at all I have, and I've I've been, I've been lazy on that one because I just I just click, click copy, right, right, and just copy my copy the same picks, and every now and then I'll go back and change it. Um, a few weeks I've done a little differently, um, but it's it's there's there's so many people that that play your your ranking is just is just all over the board. So I think I am ranked. Um, that one goes on for for quite a bit longer too. Ever, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it which it uh, just doesn't end. <laughs> which just imagine those twenty interviews we'd have with you if we did like a, <laughs> a fifty-two week season. No change. Right. <laughs> so um, yeah, and I can't even see what what uh, my ranking is. But you're right. There just there's so many people. It it, it kind of makes it a little more difficult to uh, uh, to see what is is uh, where you're standing or how you're doing compared to others. So. Yeah. Um, this week we, we're, we're getting closer down to the. Um, uh, this will be a little bonus action here, getting down to the real meat of the AFI Top 100, and, and you've been kind enough to let me know that you've been listening. Uh, have you since um, um, hearing the uh, podcast? Have you uh, seen any of the movies? Have you have you put any written any down to make sure you go check out? Several. I've written. I haven't seen any, um, but I have written several down because I've I've got quite a bit of travel coming yeah. up oh, that I'm going to be. Um, I'm going to be watching several, especially on this, the, the previous week. Um, I thought that was, I, I think the, the, the list and you guys, both, both of you and Todd have touched on it at the tail end that, you know, you're, you're, it was a, it was a thought 
before you started doing it and then um, <laughs> now that you're actually you're in it and you're in the meat of it it's 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 really interesting and it's re it's holding you know it's holding the listener in for um and when you you had made a mention on the last episode that it was almost two hours i looked what <laughs> two two wow that was two hours but that was, it was entertaining i was i was hooked the entire time so there are yeah i've, I've written a couple of them down um oh, and good. a couple of them that i want to see again like uh jaws specifically yeah, yeah. That conversation was great. So, and and you'll hear uh, as we're in the we are currently uh, whether you know it or not, Jeff, we are in the AV time machine. We recorded yesterday. We're recording this on Friday, and it will be published on Sunday. I'm uh, so confused. <laughs> right? I don't, I don't even know what date it is. Exactly. Today. Exactly. Um, but uh, one you'll want to uh, pay close attention to, and if you do have it on your list of travel movies, make sure you check out Chinatown because that's one of the ones that we talk about, and it was probably uh, the most uh talked uh, most discussed film on the, on the list that we go over this week so uh make sure done and done it. fantastic well thanks again for your time hey we did it in one take this time we won't be on the phone for a half hour i, uh, I appreciate <laughs> you were probably blocking out town <laughs> <laughs> well i've got this all written down so i can i can just kind of repeat it exactly and i've <laughs> i've hired a small chipmunk to run the soundboard and the recording for me congratulations and uh, i guess we'll be talking to you next week all right sounds good thanks jeff appreciate that todd i'm thinking we'll do a little plaque or a little trophy or something uh as the uh first season winner uh well him. i was about to say i think we should just go ahead and give it to him now i don't know this is week six even really it's almost like you know when you've locked it up and no one else can catch you that sounds like somebody that's in fourth place um yeah, not much not somebody that's in second place like myself oh so. whatever <laughs> <laughs> so uh i yeah i kind of agree i i think he's got it in the bag but uh i will do something nice for jeff and uh get an award or something for him uh for participating in season one season two will be following but we will um do a little better marketing and and everything to get that out uh as there are people that want to try and participate again uh fantasy movie league Week five concluded last week, week six coming up, and stay tuned for the results. All right, at this time, we're going to go ahead and rock and, rock and roll, rocket rock two, rock and or roll, rocket through the AFI Top 100 10th Anniversary Films. We're at 30 through 21 today. Uh, just a note for the kind listener, this week we're covering 10, next week we're going to cover 10, and then we're going to do the top 10, 5 and 5. And through the the beauty and magic of uh, the calendar, we realize that we will uh, finish the AFI review while Todd's in town. So we'll be bright, we'll, we'll be able to record that and do that uh, face to face. So I'm excited about that. All right. I, I, I'm a little worried about doing it face to face with you, Jeff. <laughs> Because when we get to that, we're going to get to that top position, which actually created this idea. Yeah. I'm either going to have you in the palm of my hand. Right. As a disciple of Citizen Kane, or the kind of listener might actually hear you pummeling me to death. <laughs> I was wrong all along. Well, you know what? I thought about that. But with everything I've learned, and again, this week, even though shorter, and I, I do have to apologize to the kind listener um, because of the scheduling. I was not able to see all of the movies, um, which I will make sure I do uh, next week. But I did see a couple ones that I haven't seen before. Um, but getting back to your point, Todd, 
you know, I'm not that scared of Citizen Kane now. I think that if, if in fact, I do not agree with you, I think that rather than me just going, oh, the movie's stupid, I'll be able to actually <laughs> have some points, yeah. <laughs> some points of arguments, uh, of argument to to share with you. And, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it because um, this has been a real uh, eye-opener. I know that's such a trite uh, expression, but I'm learning all this stuff and seeing all these things. And it's with every movie that I'm watching as we're going up this list, I'm seeing little things like you'll, I'll mention uh, one of them <clears throat> when we get to the, the proper movie. And I was just like, Oh, and I wanted so badly to call you and, you know, and just say like, I just saw this thing and this, you know, how did they do that? They do some really cool things in the movies that we're going to discuss today. Yeah. This is, this is a fantastic group of movies and we really are getting, as I think you said last week, we're getting into a place where, you almost can't argue at all with the majority of these films. Now you can, you can jockey around the places and say, maybe this is a little bit higher, but every one of them is incredibly significant. And even the ones that, that I don't care for personally, and there mm -hmm. is one in this that I'm not really a big fan of, I can still look at it and say, okay, I get its significance. I get well, that's, it. that's good. Cause if we're talking about the same film, I have a challenge for you because I watched one and was scratching my head through the entire thing, and I, it's almost like a mystery. I can't wait to, to get in that discussion and find out why. So let's not hold the listener back anymore. Let's jump into 1975. We're at the 30 spot, 1979, a movie I'm pretty sure most of our kind listeners have seen, Apocalypse Now. So this is Francis Ford Coppola's take on... And why did my notes decide to vanish? Because I want to be accurate. You're listening to The Other Kind Radio. Thank I'm you. Todd. He's Jeff. We're talking about the AFI Top 110th Anniversary Movies of All Time, covering 30 through 21. And I hope Todd's notes have magically appeared. They have. That's the beauty of Mac, is that it decided to go to a screensaver for whatever reason. Anyway, this is Francis Ford Coppola's 1979 adaptation of Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, based on a script by John Milius. This is a film that was long in gestation, was originally supposed to be directed by George Lucas. No. After things with that fell through and he made this little film that we might see a little bit higher on this list called Star Wars, Coppola decided to take this upon himself, and this film literally almost killed him. And it almost killed his star as well. And what I mean by that is that Coppola went through hell to make this movie. This movie uh, had a typhoon move through the location where they were shooting. He actually grabbed some footage and put it in the film. Martin Sheen had a heart attack during the uh, shooting of this film. Brando, who's in it, went cuckoo pants. And all of this is l really detailed in... Uh, a documentary that Coppola's wife made. So uh, what I'm going to say is this is a monumental piece of filmmaking that focuses on the Vietnam War, but it's bigger than that. You need to watch both this film and I believe the, the documentary is called Heart of Darkness as well, of Hearts of Darkness, I think. And they are complete companion pieces. If you do, and you can watch it whatever you want. It could be the documentary first or the film first, because either way you're going to just sit there going, oh my God. This film stands, you know, Jeff constantly asked me if things stand the test of time, and this stands the test of time to the point that I don't think there's any time when this won't be a pertinent piece of filmmaking. Coppola at this time, between the Godfather films, 
uh, a film that's not on the list, but called The Conversation, which I would actually argue might be the strongest of all of his films of that era. And this film, the man was a titan unlike any other. So you've probably seen it. You've probably heard things before, but I beg you to go out there and do what I'm telling you. Watch both of these films and see what a filmmaker does for the love of the craft. Any particular order? Do you want to watch a movie first and then the making of or the making of no. and then the movie? And that's what I was saying there earlier. You could watch the making of or you could watch the movie. Either way, you're going to get something out of it. And, you know, and when we get to Citizen Kane, I'll even suggest a lot of making of documentaries because it, in some ways it's that same thing to me, Jeff. And it's Citizen Kane is a fantastic movie, but it's also what it did for filmmaking. Well, Apocalypse Now is a fantastic movie, but it also is a testament to how someone will not stop until they get their vision out there and a couple interesting facts that i found on imdb first of all uh coppola wanted al pacino to play williard williard hmm. and pacino said no and here the quote says i know this is a uh, pacino talking to coppola and i'm not going to do an accent although i'd love to uh, Pacino said, uh, I know what this is going to be like. You're going to be up there in a helicopter telling me what to do, and I'm going to be down in a swamp for five months. And uh, the funny thing is it was scheduled for six weeks and ended up going uh, 16 months worth of shooting. Yeah. You know, there are, there are a lot of films that will have these, these uh, I'm sorry, these stories where it goes on far longer. Jaws is one of those. But then the thing is, is you get this absolute magic that is created on the screen. And every shot in this film is be just beautiful. Yeah. And you, there's no arguing with it, especially what is fantastic is when you watch that documentary and you see that Brando came on the set and made up the majority of his yeah. lines. <laughs> and they actually were able to cut something and make something intelligible out of it. You'll just be in awe of Francis Ford Coppola. You know, sometimes, sometimes the most difficult part of making a film isn't a mechanical shark. Sometimes it's everything else. And this is a, to me, a very good example of uh, problem solving and Coppola, you know, try to get everything he could out of not only his, his crew, but his, uh, his cast and then mother nature, you know, helped out a little bit. The other thing I wanted to throw in here uh, real quick, this is off of IMDb as well. It caught my eye is um, first of all, it took almost three years to edit the film and while working on the final uh, edit uh, it became apparent to him that um, Martin Sheen would be needed to tape several additional narrative voiceovers and Coppola soon discovered that Sheen was busy and unable to perform the voiceovers so he called Sheen's brother Joe Estevez whose voice sounded just like his and had him perform the new narrative tracks uh, there was also an opportunity where Stevis was brought in as a stand-in uh, when Sheen suffered his heart attack. And uh, the sad thing is Joe was not given any credit for any of his work at all for the film, which seems weird. That is very odd. <laughs> Caught my eye. Uh, I agree with everything you're saying, uh, Todd. It has been a while since I've seen it. I remember it being a dark journey. I remember once they get down to where Brando is... It almost turns into the last um, 20 or 30 minutes of uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey where it gets super freaky and, you know, the whole tone of the movie is is flipped on its head. Um, and, of course, it has one of the most famous lines in movies, which is, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Um, 
which uh, has lived on and on. So that's uh, that is number thirty, Apocalypse Now, brought to us by the year nineteen seventy nine. Next, we'll move on to a film I know that uh, Todd has warm feelings for, and I was able to see. Uh, it was brought to us in the year 1944, number 29, Double Indemnity. Todd. This is the first of the films in today's list by the fantastic director Billy Wilder. This is his 1944 film noir that in many ways is considered to be amongst the pinnacle of the film noir genre and and i know i've mentioned it before but i'm going to go over what film noir is that that comes from a french term that simply means dark film and it's usually detective novels of the of the 40s translated to film where the detective is sometimes duped by a lady who has nefarious plans and that's essentially what we have here billy wilder was a smart smart filmmaker and an even better writer and i know jeff looks at films like this and and here's a little bit of the stuff and so you do have some of that but the thing is is that i really do believe you do not have pulp fiction if you don't have film noir right because the people in pulp fiction do not talk like real people talk it's almost too fast it's too much and, and i didn't get to watch this film again this week but i've seen it numerous times but i did go find a clip online and watch it and that's where I started thinking of this Pulp Fiction correlation because it is almost the the characters are in a situation where they are impossibly fast with their answer because one person will say something witty, the other has a wittier thing, and it just comes quick, 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 quick. And Wilder was fantastic at that. You know, you could even then look forward to years uh, later when he would do uh, Sunset Boulevard, and. It was the same kind of thing, but he was ever so aware that what he was doing was creating a little bit of a dreamlike reality. And I think I've always thought that that's what film noir has to be to an extent for the majority of them. Yes, you're going to have Ellie Confidential, which is a film noir that is very straight laced. But at the same time, it exists in this idea that there is almost this magical element askew in the world that, that, that is making people power hungry and reaching for things. And then that one is Hollywood and here it's money it's it's there are always things that are pulling these people down into hell and i i just cannot ever stress if you want to see a fantastic film noir that you start w- with double indemnity i can't stress it enough it's it's a magical film so i got a co- couple questions for you okay. first off wilder relate any relation to gene no okay um so i'm interested in what you're saying about the um the rhythm of the words, the w- the way that they're said, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of film noir um, in in V one in version one was on radio dramas, and whether it was the way that people spoke at the time, or maybe because it was time restricted and they had to get the story moving, and a lot of those things were done or recorded live. Um, I think the pace at which they spoke was. Um, up to me, p- part of the result of the era and the time that it was made, but also I'm noticing in watching these uh, older films like About Eve and, and this movie, the dramatic movies are oh so dramatic, and the needle is such a shift over to that side 
where things are slowly said and oh my lord and I can't believe this is happening to me and it's very dramatic but the times that it gets serious is when they're going to start you know and, and and it's almost at the that the way and the, the I don't even know this is the a word well I guess rapidness the rapidity of uh the way that they say their lines is also a method of acting at that time to show stern and then also intelligence because I am noticing in more of those films, there are some very, very funny lines that are written, but um, they're delivered at such a pace, it's hard, you know, you can't really get lost in the humor of it. There's a lot of um, the type of lines where, you know, surely you can't be serious. It's, well, I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. A lot of, of non-answering questions, so they, you know, where is Bob? Well, it'd be funny you'd ask me that question. Well, I'm not trying to be funny, but where's Bob? You know, so it's it's this kind of seesaw, and maybe it's script writing growing up. I don't know. I'm I'm speaking uneducated here, but I am seeing a trend, and you know, then as you move in into the '60s and '70s, everything really does kind of take a a step down, and maybe it's the culture that shifted, or or uh, uh, the way that the scripts were written and wanted to be delivered. So I, I think you make a couple of really interesting points in there about, yeah, a lot of this was first explored in radio. And radio, you have to think about that radio was still very powerful at this time in 1944 and had been for years leading up to this. Right. Orson Welles started there, brought a lot of that both places. He did The Shadow, and th those were very noirish type uh, stories. And I, I think you're right in that maybe the rapidity was about trying to get a story across, yes. get character across. I do think the leading questions are a very nuanced um, style of dialogue that they tried to give because you're right. That, but you have to think about it. This, this, this genre is all about double crossing. Yes. And if I answer you... I've given you something I don't want you to have, which is information, because I'm trying to stay one up on you. And mm -hmm. these characters have to constant. That's why they're almost always on their feet. And to me, it's it's really no different than why jazz is what jazz is, classical what is what it is, folk, etc. You know, you have all these different genres of music. You have that here. Now, the one thing I do think is incredibly pertinent, and you kind of alluded to it, was the acting style at this time. Um, with how quick they were and almost how much they chewed on the lines. Now you go to number 47 on this list, A Streetcar Named Desire in 1951. And that really was a point because of Brando's performance when people began to think, oh, hang on, I can actually emote. Um, there were a lot of actors that hated his performance in that film for that reason, because they thought that he overdid it when the truth is he was more naturalistic. I don't real, real quick, I'm sorry, real quick before I forget, because you are so right, because radio was simply spoken. And for the first time, is there, you know, or they're, they're still in the infancy of putting this in, in a visual medium. Absolutely. If, if you're if the, if the history is the way you say the say the line is the way that it communicates now. And, and what just made the light bulb go off in my head is, yeah, of course. I mean, because I, I could see why they would be horribly scared to just have a frame of a face and no words, but just expression. Sorry, go ahead. You know, and I, it's the the maturation of the film language. And that's that's one of the interesting things that to me we're going to get to as we get to the number one places. What the film language did in a relative short amount of time, but has continued to do 
Now, I think something that's very interesting here, Jeff, is the the final film we'll talk to talk about today at number 21. <laughs> I can completely see the ties between that film and this film. I can completely see where Polanski watched these great film noirs. And there are some great ones. And Orson Welles was involved in, you know, in a number of those great noir films, the, the ones that may not even be as popular, some of the better ones. You don't make a film like number 21's film today without these films coming before it. And Double Indemnity, again, is considered to be the pinnacle with which they're all based on because it was really the one that pulled off close to perfection the style that they were trying to do. Right. Um, I just have a few notes to go over here. I, I enjoyed watching it. Um, I think one reason why I like Film Noir is it, like any book I've ever really enjoyed, gets right to the beat. Mm-hmm. And I and we all know the the stormy night and the vo- the voiceover the VO that says you know I wasn't expecting you know the l- most beautiful dangerous thing to walk into my office that night, but she did. She had red lipstick on. Blah blah blah. Paints that picture. Boom, right there. And I'm like, okay, I know where I'm at. I know who what, what I'm dealing with. And I think the film noir is a comfortable glove in which you can uh, that you can anticipate that once it's put on what the normal boundaries and expectations are for that story. The other reason why I like them is that they finish the, they finish the story. Um, mm-hmm. That partially comes from my childhood where we lived uh, in the mountains with no running wa- water electricity um, for, for a number of years. And I would, all my television viewing was at friends' houses. And like, if I was going to watch the Dukes of Hazard or the Brady Bunch or, you know, any of those, those shows back then, the absolute worst was the cliffhanger because I may not be there that following week. <laughs> so right. I'd, I'd see the, the buildup and then it'd be like, you know, next week. And I'm like, oh, I'm never going to find out if Fonzie gets his foot out of the mailbox, you know? And you know what's funny about that, Jeff, is that I totally agree with you. You're absolutely right. What a film noir does is it, it never – now they may ha- have hanging elements, but sure. you always at least are given the end. Now, that end can be very dark. Yes. The best film noirs in the world are ones that go and you're like, oh, God, that's uncomfortable. And I like that. Yeah. I like things that, that for that reason, I actually like stories that don't resolve themselves. But with film noir, you don't usually get that. I What I like about them is that I, I constantly see myself as a person in the world that is a rather bit of a, a romantic and I don't just mean falling in love with a person. I mean falling in love with ideas and things. That's one of the reasons that I'm so obsessed with film is that I can't get enough. I, I, I have to have more and I have to have more. And it's, you know, it's something I can't stop consuming. And I think that right. that's the, the person who falls for the dame who wants to do something in, the, in here. You know, Fred McMurray in this, who if you, you watch My Three Sons, this is not that version of Fred McMurray. Right. Murtry. Is it Murtry or Murray? Oh, I, I'd have to look it up. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm looking. McMurray. I knew as soon as I said Murtry, I was like, no, that's somebody else. <laughs> McMurray. Um, Fred McMurray is not a doofus, but you that character has to have enough of a romantic in them to fall for the thing that's being laid out. And I've always felt that I'm kind of that kind of person that right. if I've met that gorgeous dame, I'd be so twisted and I'd be in trouble. 
And I, I guess that's one of the reasons I identify with these films. I just love them. Right. And I do want to touch on one thing that, that you said there. Um, yeah. And, and, and resolution doesn't, and, and, and to be hypocritic, hypocritical, um, the resolution doesn't have to be the resolution I want, but I have yet to watch a film noir where I am thinking about, you know, what they're doing the next day. Um, because I think the format in which it's laid out is it, you're being told a story. And to me, that has a beginning, middle, and end. Now, it may leave some loose uh, plot lines or, or you know, certain things you're looking for to have be summed up. But I think that's the other thing I like about it, too, is it, it, isn't, it isn't always, you know, baseball and bubble gum and apple pie at the end of it. It may be dark. Um, generally is generally there's a lesson that to be learned because that's the what the, I remember listening to and kind of going back to the whole where I, how I grew up. Um, I was the local radio station that we could get the only one we could get would have radio dramas that they would play every weeknight. So while everybody else was watching television, I was listening to Fibber McGee and Molly Man Called X. And my favorite radio dramas were the were the what would be considered film noir or detective type stories. So uh, I think you and I both have a special connection to that that genre of film, and and this one was fun. Um, it, it it definitely had some dated stuff in it. The, the lines when he immediately is trying to hit on uh, the dame were were kind of funny. Uh, I do want to make. Um, uh, a couple quick notes. One, it took me a second to realize at the beginning of the film that he was talking to a dictaphone. Uh, it, it looked at like a it looked like a chocolate, uh, like ice cream cone, like a chocolate you know covered. And it took me a while. I thought that was an, a neat touch uh, and use of technology. Basically, he's telling the story uh, and recording it. Um, and then the other thing that caught my eye. This is my Todd's Todd's moment of the of the movie. Is very early on when he's going over. This is the first time he meets the the, the main female lead. Um, he's going over to their house to drop some paperwork off, and the scene is set. Right? Okay, it's a single shot. Uh, you'll see the car approach and come in and park. There's no movement of the camera. It's a, it's a static shot. But to add movement and I guess some uh, depth to the shot, they have three kids playing baseball on either the street or the cul-de-sac or whatever area it is. And the reason why this is a Todd moment with me viewing is the boy pitches, the girl hits the ball and hits it. Now they, they've uh, shortened the distance, of course. So this is compact baseball. This is, you know, Hey, we need something. Well, let's get some kids playing. Well, what should they be playing? Well, let's have them play baseball. So uh, the girl's batting, uh, there's a boy behind the girl catching, and then there's the pitcher. And then I think there's one other young man that's uh, outfield or, or nearby. And I'm setting all this up just because I want uh, – what got me was the pitcher would pitch, and the, the kid, the young girl, would hit it directly back to the pitcher. So you get, I think, three pitches in this scene. And it's not like she's, you know, swinging to, to send it out to the – you know, out of the ballpark. But I was just wondering – how much time that took and right because because you, you if you if she hits the ball and it goes off and hits a bush or runs off and then your eye is immediately diverted from the fact that he's doing a vo talking about why he was going to this house and the car pulling up 
but yeah. they did it perfect three times. And I, that to me again is now my heightened sense of watching a film and going, Oh, I would have loved to have been on the set that day and watch that whole thing try to go down. Am I on the right track? Does that, I mean, no, you're absolutely on the right track. And I think that the thing that I really want to give to you, because we're going to talk about Billy Wilder twice today. And then I think we hitting on, on him next week when we actually probably touch on one of my two favorite of his films. He was a director that influenced a ton of people for those moments of detail, but also characterization, because, you know, putting in a moment like that. Now, I've not seen the film in probably a couple of years, so I, I, I don't want to speak to that moment because I'll speak wrong. And I know what you're talking about, but not enough to speak of it. But the man understood how to choreograph things like that and, you know, and what he's doing with that especially if you're going to go for the trope of a VO, which VOs are considered usually no-nos right. in the world of film. Most people think it's cheating. They think it's lazy. I disagree because you look at what Wilder does with it, and I think it's freaking awesome. But what that does is you're exactly right about what it's doing to your eye, except that go a step further. It's putting you in a trance where you believe the VO. Ah, because yeah. the rapidity of it, you're just watching that and you're just taking that in. And you're letting the words sink in so you're not looking to the, the listening to the disembodied voice speaking to you. Right. And, you know, I th I look at things like that when a director does that, they're doing something to play with us. Uh, Kubrick did a ton of st stuff like that in his films and Wilder was a master at it because you rarely noticed those things. But that was a great catch, Jeff. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now, and somewhere down the road, I've made a note here. I want to talk about the uh, the no-no of the VO because to me, and this is 100% perception, and maybe it's because I've had the radio uh, growing up, and that was kind of my first uh, introduction. To me, as soon as I hear a VO, I don't think lazy. I don't think this. I think, hey, they're talking to me. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm, I'm here. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm getting to hear some stuff that... Because to me, it's understood that what they're t what they're saying is only heard by me. It's not heard from, by anybody else. That's that's uh, uh, generally anybody else in the film. So I'd like to discuss that with you at some point. Yeah, we can get to that. There, I think there are a lot of great examples. I think there are a lot of horrible examples. But the thing about that is, isn't that true of every group of films? There are great examples and crap examples of it. So <laughs> right. We yes, that for sure. Fantastic. All right, that's 1944's Double Indemnity, uh, number 29 on the AFI. I'm always scared of that word, indemnity. I, it's like, I, I can say it if I slow down, but if I'm <laughs> if I'm trying to get it out, it's like see an enemy. It's like if you think about it or you see it written, I'm going to mess it up. In fact, I'll, I'm, I'll, I'm sorry. I'll bore you with a real quick story. Um, when I was a young kid, okay, it was a week ago. No, when I was a young kid, um, I, my mother would make me read out loud to her. And I was reading aloud something, and I said, you know, blah, 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 Joey got kicked in the smouch. And she said, I'm sorry, um, smouch, what's that? Spell that word. And the word was stomach. <laughs> and she said, why would you say smouch? And I said, oh, well, when you say the word, it's stomach. But if you're reading it, it's smouch. So there you go. A little into the psychological condition of, of, of Jeff. Um, so indemnity and see an enemy are kind of the same way. I can't look at the word and say it out loud. I am going to purposely go to a dictionary online and find every amenity word that there is. <laughs> I'm messing with you so much. 
Right. Okay. All right. But I digress. But I thought that'd be something funny to share with kind listeners. It is funny. All right. Uh, we are going six years into the future. 1950, number 28. The movie is all about Eve. And I'm all about finding out why this is number 28. So I knew this would I knew this would be one that you went, huh? <laughs> and that's because I go, what? As well. I've never liked the film. Oh. I, I don't like Betty Davis. I said this to you in the days leading up to this that I and and I'm fine to go toe to toe with anybody that would like to go against me. Please. The only Betty Davis film I like is Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. And because I think that her over the topness plays beautifully to that character i don't like betty davis performance i know that she did some toward the latter part of her career where she was okay she just it's not just chewing the scenery i mean she chews it up she digests it she craps it out i mean she does everything and this film now here's why i think it's on the list okay it's the only film that's ever had four women nominated for acting awards from the same film it is a massive feminine female not feminist female statement in the hollywood structure of things mankowitz the director and writer was the brother of uh, herman mankowitz that uh co-wrote citizen kane so he was connected he had these things and now God, I, I'm trying not to be negative on it. This film has been redone a number of times. There are a lot of films that are based on this kind of same structure. Mm. There have been a lot of little have some fun with it. Right. I, and just, just for the kind listener, I mean, it's basically about an aging actress. I guess I don't know if you were reading oh, this. I didn't actually do my recap. I'm so sorry. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so, so do that. Yeah. Let me say this. It's an ingenue insinuates herself into the company of an establishing but aging stage actress and her circle of theater friends. I, I have a hard time with it being on this list, Jeff. I have a hard time with it being this high because I don't find it particularly well written. Um, I do think that it holds that special place because what I've already said, it also has a very early performance by a very young Marilyn Monroe. Yes. Um, there are a lot of things about it that make it important, but I don't see it in the discussion of the top films of all time, especially this high on the list. Yes, and I, I will firmly you know, put my foot in the sand, and while I'm there, I might as well put my head in the sand. Because I will tell you, I watched this, and I tried. I really, really did. Even after watching Best Years of Our Lives and some other movies you know, that, again, on any given day, I would not choose to watch. I have, you know, and I, and again, nothing against. I for those kind listeners that are listening out there, I'm not, I'm not making this gender, you know, this review gender oriented. I get it. I get there's some leads, and, and, and the acting in it is okay. Um, but what the main thing was, it just, it really doesn't go anywhere. There's no like wild or or earth shattering. A moment where you go, oh yeah, okay, great, because you invest. I mean, you. It honestly feels like a wristwatch commercial because I kept checking. You know, and maybe it wasn't my wristwatch, but I kept touching the iPad, going, "How much more do I have of this?" Because um, while you have the four female leads, there's plenty of moments where men are manhandling uh, characters and slapping, and and so there's, you know, plenty plenty of those moments to kind of bring you back. But um, 
it's an interesting um, concept in the sense that you know what happens when you get old, and there's a moment in the movie where it then happens to the young woman that comes up. So it's it's showing the cycle. But I had I almost had a moment where I was going to put say it was one of the greatest movies ever. Because oh. one thing about Eve is she comes in and she's real humble and she starts helping uh, the the main character played by uh, Betty Davis and um, you know doing helping her out with her staff and errands and everything. But then there's these dark moments where uh, she's caught looking at the looking at the costumes that the main actress is wearing in the mirror and practicing moves. So you understand? Okay, there's some manipulation there. There's some some there is a goal she's not just a, a a nice person doing these things she has motivation she knows why she's placing herself and acting this particular way but there's a moment late in the film when and and so most of the film goes back and forth she's either being real nice or she's being real manipulative and, and mean but there is a moment in the film where she walks um into her room after a performance kind of mirroring the beginning of the film and she doesn't see it, but the way the shot is set, there is somebody kind of dressed like her sitting on the couch. And I went, oh my God, she has a twin sister. And <laughs> they've been manipulating everybody and working together to get this overall. Yeah, it wasn't. It was just kind of the introduction of the new young uh, starstruck intern, if you will, that wants to help her. But it for a moment I was like I was you know I was like oh my god this is this is so good finally it paid off I was I so wanted some kind of satisfaction after after spending all the time watching them on the screen that my mind tried to generate some type of uh, hyper uh, you know twin theory that you know that's why she was acting the way she was. And is that not the sign of a movie that doesn't belong on this list when you stopped down and had a whole secondary story play in your mind while that one was going just to make this one interesting? <laughs> yes. So, uh, I, yes, I invite the kind listener, anybody that, that, that listens to this and, and has alternate feelings about it, all about Eve and why it's there and why it should be there. We'd love to hear it. I need to be educated. But, yes, this was a disappointment i'm glad i watched it because it, it gives that con contrast opinion um but i wouldn't recommend it really to to anybody that is looking at this list any of these movies as far as what to watch so uh i will throw in two things there what you just said i i am a big proponent of watch everything so that you know and you know for the passive fan you know what you like and what you don't like i I get very tired of people that say I don't like romantic comedies, I don't like musicals, I don't like action. There's an example of every genre out there that you would like if you'd watch them. And I guarantee you that. So I think that what you're doing, I'm, I've told you I'm so proud of you for going out and watching all these. And I think it's all it's going to do is make you a deeper film fan. Now, to back up and justify why this film is on the list, it did win the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor, Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best Costume, Best Sound, and Best Picture. So that is some of the criteria of why the AFI chose films. So that automatically elevates it. But once again, you know, I don't really put a lot of stock into the Academy Awards. I'm also not seeing any other movies on this list from 1950. So maybe it just was a slow year. 
It must have been. <laughs> well, no, the, the, the next film we've got, oh, you're, you're saying 1950 itself. I thought you were saying the 50s. Right, no, 1950, because, you know, I've made that mistake before saying, well, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yeah, but these other movies came out the same year. And I would have, I'm looking down the list to see if there's anybody else that, you know, that's on this list from 1950, and there are not. So, um, a very good point. Very good point. Yeah. All right, let's uh, close it out. 1950s, number 28, All About Eve. On to a movie that I've been told I need to watch. I just ran out of time um, because I really wanted to make sure I watched, in particular, one of the movies on here. So we're going to go to the 27th spot, 1952's High Noon. High Noon stars Gary Cooper and the absolutely gorgeous Grace Kelly. The story of a town marshal, despite the disagreements of his newlywed bride and the townspeople around him, must face a gang of deadly killers alone at high noon when the gang leader an outlaw he sent up years ago arrives on the noon train this is directed by fred zinneman this film holds a pretty interesting place in that it came after the um, blacklisting scandal that we had in hollywood because of the mccarthy red scare and a lot of people believe that this film stands as a testament against the blacklisting of the card a lot of people believe that so much so that the word was that they offered it to John Wayne and he probably said, hell no, that's a lefty propaganda thing. I'm not doing it. Uh, there's no way I'm going to play that film, I tell you. Well, I'm telling you right now, if he'd been in it, it would have been terrible. <laughs> and, and you know what? John Wayne was not a great deep actor. He had one or two. The Searchers, is wow, great film. Uh, Stagecoach, uh, yeah, great film but he would he was so wrong for this film this film is really interesting in that it is almost told in real time it is very close to it if you go watch the huh. film um you've got i think it takes place an hour and a half and it the film's really nine ninety five minutes so it, it's literally like you kind of have to let the first 15 minutes go and then if you started your stopwatch from that point on it's real time that's cool and it, yeah it's a very interesting approach this is uh, a, a film that it definitely stands the test time you when you watch it you're going to um you're going to see things that oh i've seen people do this before and i guarantee you it's because they got it from high noon it is highly influential um the other thing i will tell you again grace kelly who i did sell out and mention as the i said think i said beautiful <laughs> yeah she was 21 years old at this time and just stunning. However, Gary Cooper was 51 years old. So his new bride, he was 30 years older than when they shot the film. But also you start thinking about it, that was kind of apropos for that day. So it's a pretty interesting film no matter what. You're, you're not going to be awestruck by it being perfect filmmaking. Um, this is by the man that made other great films like From Here to Eternity, an Oklahoma uh, man for all seasons. So a good director, not probably revered as highly as he could be, but still a very good seminal Western. And the director, uh, his planning, 400 shots in four weeks. Wow. Yeah, he they cranked this film quickly. And that, that's, you know... The economy of filmmaking here, I think that's one of the reasons that people do revere this so highly. And it is beautifully constructed. If you think about a film, again, that is telling it in real time, 
and it's building tension as you know that clock's ticking that is pretty difficult to pull off and make it work because that can either be tension building or it can do what you just had in all about eve like jesus is this going to be over today <laughs> right right like every time it fade to black i'd go <gasps> and then oh. Would, oh okay no finn no the end um well i wish i'd seen this so i could speak more to it but but uh, great summary and, and thank you for the facts on that uh we'll close out uh 1952's high noon at the 27th spot and move on up to 26th, 1939, a movie that I got to see probably the first 30 or 45 minutes of, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm going to try and sound enthused about this, but I'm not a fan of Capra or James Stewart, by and large. So, a naive man is appointed to fill a vacancy in the U.S. State Senate. His plans promptly collide with political corruption, but he doesn't back down. Capra was the king of the rousing finish, I guess is a good way of putting it, in that there was always th this redemptive quality. He was he was Spielberg for that era, but with about six layers of sugar on top of it. And I just, I've never been a big Capra fan, and I've, I watch these films and I find them to be silly. Um, yeah, yeah, Capra did it happened one night and that's a great film. He has great examples in there. Mr. Smith goes to Washington is a very rousing thing. If you want to see somebody giving a filibuster that is written purposely to make you stand up and cheer and see all the negativity that goes along with it, then watch this film. Do not stay away from it. And again, I, I would say go watch every one of them. I just don't care for it. It's a little too saccharine for me. It, it also is kind of, um, uh, for me, difficult to watch just because of the current climate. Um, Agreed. But um, interesting. One thing I did want to note, though, my, my my little note I have here. So it's another it's another Todd moment. Jeff watching a film. I noticed that all of the politicians prior to um, what's his face his character getting there. Um, Stewart. Yeah, Jimmy Stewart are all white and they're all fat. Huh. So everybody's portly. Everybody is, you know, having ha, has has enough, <laughs> is having a little too much, and then Jimmy Stewart shows up, and it's in stark contrast of he's young, he's he's thin, and he is, you know, fish out of water, so to speak. So um, even though I didn't get to see all of it, I did write that down. I thought it'd be interesting to share it with you. Now, one of the uh, that is interesting, and one of the interesting th things too about Capra at this time, I mentioned, I think, last episode about a wonderful documentary called Five Came Back about Hollywood directors that went over to shoot uh, footage yes. for World War II. Capra was one of them, and this was his next to last film before that occurred. And if you look at his IMDb page at that point, all of a sudden it stops being Hollywood films except for one film arsenic and old lace that occurred in 1944 and other than that there's probably about i'm going to say 12 documentaries titled things like prelude to war the battle of russia the nazi strike so this was the era where at least he went there and a number of things changed for him at least his understanding of what he tried to get across and what he got out of that and this is always interesting to me with an artist is whenever they go and they see the travesties that occur of war that he comes back and he makes a wonderful life, which is very saccharine, but it's it, it has a bit of depth to it in that knowing that things may fall apart, what would you do to save what you had? 
right. kind of that undercurrent. And so it, it, it changed him. And I find that vastly interesting. He was a very gifted filmmaker. If you watch Spielberg, if you go watch this, you're going to see a lot of influences. I just don't care for Capra a whole lot. All right. That's 1939's uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, closing out the 26th spot. Moving right along to 25. We go to probably one of the most uh, well-read books that's out there and has its own sense of, uh, of controversy. Uh, we go to the year 1962, and it's To Kill a Mockingbird. So To Kill a Mockingbird from the Harper Lee novel directed by Robert Mulligan tells the story of Atticus Finch, a lawyer in the Depression-era South who defends a black man against an undeserved rape charge, and, uh, and his children witness the prejudice they see within the town. I'm going to start by saying that this book and this movie hold a incredibly important place in my world because it was the first book that I ever read as a young adult. And then that same year, uh, a local community theater put on the production of it. My dad wanted to go audition for Atticus. And while I was sitting there, the director said, would you read just to read? And I was like, sure. And I ended up getting the part of Jim, the brother of Scout. Wow. And I was in that and it was one of my first forays into directing because the director a guy named Ron Cassidy impressed me so much. Uh, there's a, a scene that's not in the movie. They, they cut it out, but in the book where Jim destroys the rose bushes of, I believe it's Miss Dubois. And that I, I was doing that scene and he took me aside and said, you're not emoting. Imagine that's your sister. And I, it was the simplest of things to a kid, but suddenly I could destroy a rose bush because I could imagine being my sister. And it, that day made me start thinking, oh, I like that process. So this film is very important to me because every time I put it in, it reminds me of that young desire to learn how to do this. Now, this film is not, I'm not going to say uh, it's not a perfect adaptation of the book because it leaves some themes out. But what it does, and it does so well, an adaptation of a book should get the essence of the book. And the message of the book, you're going to have to condense characters. As I said, you're going to have to cut things that the scene with the rose bushes, I believe they said it was, you know, in the book, Mr. Bois is a drug addict. She's actually taking drugs to survive. And I didn't pick up on that as a kid, but I know that's why they put it in there. And in 62, that would have been a, a diverging too far and distracting. This film is masterful in certain ways that it begins with shots of carved pieces of soap of of children's toys of marbles and the soundtrack is chosen specifically i love this fact the man that wrote it worked with robert mulgan and he said what i want to do is he said when a child walks to a piano they don't hit melodic things they just hit inadvertent keys and so when you li when you listen to the soundtrack it with that in mind it sounds like a child just picking notes and so this is told from a child's perspective. It's, it's whimsical in that way, but it's also soulful that it's the voice of Scout grown up telling her remembrances, which is how the novel was written. It is, to me, it's stunning. It's beautiful. I watched it with my daughter recently when she read the book and we both wept. It is just a lovely book. And it was my first exposure beyond my father ever telling me, don't be racist, obviously but to actually see what he meant by that. He was telling me not to do it, and I could suddenly see why, if you were that, how it hurt people. And not just how it hurt the character who was accused falsely of rape, but how it hurt the people that gave in to it. 
very well put. Very, very well put. I had a whole bit where I was going to ask you if you had, if you remembered your lines. And then no. I was going to say, did you get the part because you used like a, a Shakespeare voice? But um, that would kind of ruin <laughs> the, the mood that you set with such an eloquent way of describing and talking about this film. This is one I know I have seen. It has been years. Um, so unfortunately, I don't have a lot of notes for it. I, I think that, uh, and I'm going to put my, my Todd thinking cap on here. I think one of the reasons why this movie, right, we're breaking into the top 25 films of all time, according to AFI, that mm-hmm. it's here. As you said many times uh, during this countdown uh, or count up, uh, is you don't have blank without this i don't think you have a lot of and and maybe some uh of them aren't maybe uh uh, dealing with racism like this one have maybe there's age or sexism or whatever but this uh, and correct me if i'm wrong i could see as being a uh definite um uh player when it came into creating and 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 making this type of movie well absolutely and um I, I don't know that you you can ever say that you wouldn't have ever had these types of films that spoke very seriously about hard to discuss subjects, but it was one of the, the main seminal things, especially when you're heading into that era of uh, the 60s, where that conversation became so prevalent. It's handled so respectfully, and you've got Gregory Peck playing Atticus Finch and would go on to beat... Um, Peter O'Toole for Lawrence of Arabia, which is considered to be one of the great performances of that era, too. So, I mean, you've got a performance that you have to pay attention to. And the story, again, is just told so respectfully of the novel. It changes elements. It changes the things it needs to. And it understands what it is. And what it is is an attempt to tell us that we don't understand anyone until we stand in their shoes. And the final thing I'm going to offer with that, because it, I can hear those words and they haunt me. And it's at the very end of it. Look for a very young Robert Duvall, who is I, I don't do favorites well, but I will say Robert Duvall is probably one of my very favorite actors playing Boo Radling. He has no words, no lines, but Robert Duvall, because he is just amazing finds the essence of Boo Radling standing in the corner because we've we've been afraid of him. He's the boogeyman down the street. And suddenly we just like Tom, who who is falsely accused of, of rape, and just like the man who brought the charges against him, we don't understand anyone until we stand in their shoes. And I think in some ways that's the effectiveness of telling that point so beautifully and so softly to make this film be where it is. All I can follow up is uh, my favorite Robert Duvall film is Days of Thunder. Is it really? No, I'm kidding. 1962's <laughs> To Kill a... I quit. <laughs> I'm trying to lighten it up. That was, that was wonderfully said. Wonderfully said, Todd. Thank you so much. Uh, 1962's To Kill a Mockingbird at the 25th spot. Check it out. I know that you've inspired me to go and watch it again, Todd. I'll do that. Good. Um, if I had the sound effect of a needle scratching on a record, I'd play it now because we're about we're about to we're about to change it all up, folks. Um, we're gonna jump twenty years in the AV time machine into the future. We're gonna go to the year nineteen eighty two. I would be ten. I think Todd had just turned thirty. Um, and I I can't wait to hear because this is another one. I'm, I'm I'm putting my thinking cap on. I'm I'm learning here. 
um, and why this movie would outplace the one we just discussed. We're talking the number 24th. We're talking E.T., the extraterrestrial. Terrestrial. See, there's another one. Take it away, Todd. All right, so this is 1982's E.T. that tells the story of a troubled child who summons the courage to help a friendly alien escape Earth and return to his home world. Made by Steven Spielberg and direct, I'm sorry, written by Melissa Matheson, who at that time was married to Harrison Ford. Why is it here? Because I don't know that you're going to find a more masterful film. Now we're getting up into this upper echelon where you start looking at that these are masterfully made films. Right. I think at this point we can't argue anymore about is its message more important than the other because what's what's really forgotten about this film is that a troubled child summons the courage. Well, why is that child troubled? Because his father is left. He's alone with his mother. He feels alone in the world and he connects with someone. My God, I don't know anyone that's ever seen this film and not wept. And oh, if, yeah. you, if you don't weep, you and I aren't going to be friends. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you right now because this, this film is meant to say, and it's not, it's not just meant to say what it's like to be a child. It's meant to be about being found in the world. That's what we all want. When I have a friend like Jeff, do you know what I like? I like the fact that in, with him, I can be a part of me that I don't have to hide from the world. And that's what Elliot is able to find. He's hidden himself. He's afraid. And he found, finds a friend who loves him. And that is so beautifully done. And then you've got the elements of the magic that happens throughout E.T. mending things. And of course, the, the scene of, of flying the bicycles. And it, 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 this is a masterclass in how film works too. The flying of the bicycles happens because of other elements that are built throughout the film. We know things can happen. We know that it's happened before, but when it happens the magical time, we are transported in a way a lot of other mediums can't do. That's why this film is here. It is pure magic. And as a quick funny story, when I talk about crying, I let my daughter see this mm -hmm. and when she was little and she's doing okay, except for, and spoiler alert, the point at which, quote unquote, E.T. dies. Yeah. She all of a sudden stood up out of her seat and went, he's not dead, is he? <laughs> and my wife and I, of course, we could hardly contain ourselves from laughing right. because we knew that heartache and we're sitting there trying to console her. And whenever he comes back, I have I mean, my heart almost breaks right now holding that little girl. Yeah, I, I knew he wasn't dead. And <laughs> that's how magical that is that to a child, it is so real that she was destroyed when he was gone. And right. I think that we all need an ET. I think we all need a friend that we can turn to who loves us no matter who we are. Well, you did it again, Todd, um, because, you know, I, I made the joke about the record needle and, you know, uh, going in a completely different direction. But you're absolutely right. And again, as you said so eloquently, um, which if you showed me the word eloquent and asked me to read it, I would pronounce it wrong. Um, <laughs> to kill a mockingbird, you said so many times you don't know about the other person until you stand where they're at. Well, if you look at it from that and that point of view and that lens, then that's exactly the reason why ET is sandwiched between the grapes of wrath and to kill a mockingbird, right? So yeah. it's it's done twenty almost well. Grapes of wrath came in forty, so almost forty years after Grapes of Wrath, uh, and then to kill a mockingbird in sixty two, but. Um, if you if you take away a guy on a bike flying through and a and the shot that is the Amblin logo or whatever, um, mm -hmm. 
there is a lot there and there is a lot to, to do with having a friend and finding a friend. And, you know, um, for those of us that me, that I'm completely guilty. I remember when ET got drunk. I remember, um, laughing at that cause there were some very funny moments as well. Um, and seeing it from that now, <clears throat> again, I don't know how much of that was missed on me. Um, again, I, I kind of, I, 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 I was always awful at, you know, reading a book and then and then they say well what did what did what did the white picket fence represent i don't know it was a fence does they keep the dog in i don't know <laughs> so uh extrapolating or or uh, extracting some of those type of of things out of film for me is new so my i'm a noob uh, my skill level is low but i can when someone says it to me it's like the most obvious thing they're like oh so that's why blah 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 so I, you, you have made me realize that as well. And I don't know if it was at that point in my life, I just wasn't tuned into that frequency, but you're absolutely right. And you hit all the right notes on it. Um, so because you said so many good things, the only thing I have to offer <laughs> is, um, I remember seeing the film and mm-hmm. really liking it. It was, it's a great movie. It's an adventure game. It's an adventure uh, movie. And it's also, uh, I don't think we have some of the things in Stranger Things without uh, E.T. because E.T., you know, they were riding around on their bikes and everything. Um, without question. Yeah. That I, when I watched Stranger Things with my daughter, I said, this is this is a combination of Stephen King's It, the kids in that. This yep. is E.T. This is the Goonies. This is all those things. Yeah. There it is. So you're absolutely right. So I remember seeing the movie and really enjoying it. And then I got the book. And, and, and you know, back in that day, you there were book lists that came to the school and you would you could pick and you know if I was good I'd get to pick a couple books out <clears throat> and I remember getting the book and and having a really really hard time mm-hmm. with the fact that in the movie what does here's here's your trivia question for 100 points Don what did Elliot use to lead ET to a different portion of the house what candy did he use now, are we in the book or are we in the movie? We're in the movie. And the movie uses Reese's Pieces. Right. In the book, they, I think it's M&M's. It is. And there's a there's a very distinct reason for why that changed. Well, please, I'm 45. This happened 35 years ago. Put Let's put this to bed. It, it literally is that they went, something akin to that they went to get permission to use M&M's, and they were told no. And then they turned to, they were like, we need something like this. And it may have even been that they'd already shot something hmm. with something like that. And that's when the people who make Reese's said, well, what if we made these? And that they changed it to Reese's Pieces. So that was a, so was get, a big thing for them. You get a bell for that because I'm just like, why? I mean, it, for me, it was just, and I, I, I think I asked my parents and they said something about licensing and everything. And that makes sense because it was this huge success. And then I could see the big wigs over at, at M&M's, you know, and saying, hey, I'm sorry. Did you say you wanted to use our candy in the film? Oh, completely misunderstood you. We thought you said, do adult swim fans have food? And we, we're not going to market that. And so then they put it in the book. That's at least what I'm going to write on the IMDb page. Did I lose everybody there for a second? Is is everybody okay? Are we okay? We're all okay, Jeff. (sighs) Sorry, I got into some dream weaving there. Wow. (laughs) 
see, we got to go from really good quality where you tell all these touching moments, and then I got to bring it back down. I got to bring it down so you can bring it back up. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to close out ET before we move on. Yes. I know we've got, what, three more films. I want to say this. Yeah. A lot of times people will poo-poo the films that are considered fantasy or children's films because, oh, they don't have the weight and the merit to be here. That's the most asinine argument in the world when we're talking about the effectiveness of using the medium of film to communicate stories and ideas. I challenge you. Let's use the list itself. I challenge you to find more than 23 examples better than E.T. that use the medium of film to create a world, to create character, to create a message, all of it. This belongs entirely where it is. And I would not be surprised in the years to come if it doesn't move up higher because it will continue to influence so many younger people that come into the world of making films. See, folks, we're right back up there. We're right back up. We had a dip there. We're right back up. Very well said, Todd. And um, I, I look through the list, and th this will be interesting to kind of touch back on this particular conversation as we move up because there are some movies up there that are interesting. But uh, E.T., great movie, 24 on the AFI Top 110th Anniversary Films of All Time, coming out in 1982. We're jumping in the AV time machine back to 1940 and 23rd spot with Grapes of Wrath. Todd. John Ford's version of the john steinbeck tale tells the story of a poor midwest family who is forced off of their land they travel to california suffering the misfortunes of the homeless in the great depression this film by one of the great masters of film john ford is haunting amazingly shot i the, the man always had beautiful cinematography in his films even the westerns had beautiful cinematography this film when you consider that it came out around the era of Citizen Kane, was already sort of touching on things that that eventually uh, Orson Welles, with his director of uh, photography, Greg Toland, would go on to perfect. It is beautiful. It's impeccable. You've got a, a masterful, masterful performance, I suddenly can't talk, by Henry Fonda. I, I can't watch this film very often because it is equal parts sad and equal parts uplifting because they are forced with the absolute squalor and depravity of the depression. But the final speech where Tom tells his mom things like wherever there's a fight so hungry people can eat, I'll be there. He goes on and tells these things. It is one of the most rousing moments of cinema because it is not, it's not bombastic like we would have gotten with Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. It's simply stated. And the fact that Fonda would not win an Academy Award for probably, I'm going to say, about 30-some-odd years until after this film is a travesty. And once again goes to my, my whole point of why I don't like the Academy Awards. This is perfect drama filmmaking. And don't let me discourage you from watching it because right. I say that it is hard to watch. It is hard to watch. But it is a necessary film. And it's it's one of those, that honestly, I'm trying to find the right time to show it to my daughter. I just know she's going to go, geez, Dad, that's, that's dark. But <laughs> it's a good movie. Yes, yes. And, and, and I giggle only because, yeah, you know, I mean, this, this movie, in all its beauty, and I, the thing that hit me and I wrote down when you were going over it, um, I think uh, our friend that directed Mud most, most certainly has seen and studied this film. 
Who directed Mud? Uh, is it Mud? Oh man, here we go. Let's just calm down. The movie that we that uh, we watched about the family that was moving around. Oh my God! Now why are you doing that to me? Is it Mud? No, it's because Mud was with Matthew McConaughey. Oh, oop, sorry. Oh, Netflix oh. film that that the the cinematographer was a woman first nominated in that category. And why can't I think of it? Um. I don't even know how to look that up. I, I'll talk a little bit if you want to do some searching on the web. I, and I'm honestly, now see this, folks. This is this is a lesson in comedy right here. While we try and find this out, because your old friend Jeff here likes to hear laughter, and often will will try and make jokes. Um, the problem is, uh, it's almost like um, the boy who cried Mud wolf. Mudbound. Mud Thank you. So I I just left one word off there. Sometimes you. Uh, Honestly, aren't trying to make an ass out of yourself, but you just do it anyway. But anyway, getting back to what I was saying, um, definitely, I could see this movie. Um, you could at, at some point. I know one's in black and white, and one's color, but I, you could almost use shots almost from the same because it's it's very close, very beautifully done done movie. And like you said, it's a very difficult movie to try and talk someone into seeing because um, it does. It's it's going to move you. And it's 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 going to affect you, um, uh, with 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 everything that's presented. And I haven't seen it probably for maybe five or six years, mm-hmm. but still vivid in my mind. And uh, definitely, definitely uh, deserves to be at this spot. It's it it haunts me in so many ways. It uh, my Jeff knows this. My favorite songwriter Bruce Springsteen has a, a, a song called "The Ghost of Tom Joad," where he literally quotes that speech at the end of it. And every time I hear Bruce's song, I can close my eyes and see that shot. And when you can create a shot that sticks with you just because you need the smallest of of things to evoke it, you've created truly perfection. And Ford Ford is almost, uh, I'm not going to say inarguably, I'll say arguably, one of the filmmakers that probably laid more of the groundwork for what Orson Welles would do with Citizen mm. Kane. And I, when we get to Citizen Kane, remind me to talk about John Ford and his influence. I don't want to say that now. I'll save it for Citizen Kane. Will do. Will do. Well put. But it is really there. So we have to get back and talk about that. Copy. Got you. Written down. All right. 1940, 23rd spot, The Grapes of Wrath. Uh, we have two movies left. Uh, number 22 holding that spot is, a, I believe, a comedy. 1959, Some Like It Hot. So this is the second Billy Wilder film we get today. And we're going to show how incredibly diverse Billy Wilder could be because it is a comedy. And while it does have a little bit of uh, the darkness that you saw in Double Indemnity, it is not played dark. It's the tale of two male musicians who witness a mob hit. They flee the state in an all-female band disguised as women, but further complications set in. It is, this is probably, to me, I don't know if you can get a more classic comedy film. This stars Marilyn Monroe right when her star was not just ascending, it was blasting off. Mm -hmm. It's Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis. You will giggle so hard at seeing the two of them try to behave as women the screwball nature of tony curtis falling in love with marilyn monroe but playing both a woman and a man the absurdity of jack lemon across the board it is just 
it's giggle your pants off funny it's beautifully shot you will be shocked by how many iconic moments you don't even know come from this film i beg everybody and i beg you jeff now i probably built this up because you like comedy so much you're watching go wasn't that funny and i'll have to probably i, I i'm gonna tell you I'll have to slap you. Well, you, you, I know what glasses to put on and view these movies through, right? I can't, I can't watch uh, something that is, you know, a comedy that's one of my favorites, and then, and then just shift gears to this and not adjust my vision a bit. Okay, I can tell you one iconic scene that's not in it, <clears throat> where her skirt blows up. Um, I lost that argument rather quickly the other day. Um, that's the seven-year itch. Um, that's right. <laughs> that famous scene. Um, I, I just like it, you know, again, it's, 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 it's almost the, the plan words back in time, uh, or back to the future where, um, you know, you don't have Tootsie. I shouldn't say you don't have, but influence Tootsie, Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, in fact, Tootsie even closer because, uh, Dustin Hoffman's character falls in love with the woman while he's playing both characters at the same time. Uh, I have not seen this. But uh, did watch the the preview, um, you know. So if you watch a preview, I mean, you pretty much have it nailed down, don't you? And uh, <laughs> do am interested in this. So uh, number twenty two, some like it hot, nineteen fifty nine. Uh, make sure you check it out. All right, last film of the day, uh, and one I did make sure I see just because. Uh, wow, really good. No, no disrespect to any of the other movies. Um, but I'm glad that I did uh, have some time to watch this. We're moving to the 21st spot, Chinatown, which came out in 1974. Todd. It is, this is a film noir. It tells the story of a private detective hired to expose an adulterer and finds himself caught up in a web of deceit, corruption, and murder. This is written by Robert Town and directed by Roman Polanski. Um, I'll go so far to start this by saying that when Jeff was telling me the things he was watching, and I forget which one, night, Jeff, you told me you were going to watch, and I said, why are you watching that? Go watch Chinatown. I think that might have been all about Eve. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it probably was all about Eve because when I think of my favorite eras of filmmaking, and I've said this before, the 40s and the 70s are considered to be the true golden age of cinema. Those eras produced so many films that are so iconic and to me few of them touch upon the perfection of chinatown i remember being told i had to watch this and watch it and i kept thinking i don't want to see it i want to see something about waterways and all this kind of stuff oh my god it is jack nicholson the way jack nicholson should always be small jack yes he's very understated he allows some of the the big jack to come out but only in like the tiniest of doses it is it is everything that I like about film noir and the way the writing works without sounding like the old films that you are dubious of. Um, its twists, its turns will shock you. John Huston, the great director, plays a role in it that you suddenly, he's, he's known as one of the giants in Hollywood and that he was actually a pretty good person in this, he's not. It is so effective that you, I, I challenge you to think that you won't, see these people in these capacities going forward i really really feel that way so i don't believe there's any vo used in this no so an an you know a a notch in the argument for those against vo um this movie and again kind of what i alluded to a little earlier in the cast 
this is my kind of film. Um, L.A. Confidential, always enjoyed that movie. I don't know why. I know I do the horrible interpretation of the voice. Um, Maltese Falcon, to me, um, was good. I did like uh, Double, can't look at the word, Indemnity. 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 (laughs) Um, More than Maltese. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have written on my notes here, this is is the filet mignon of film noir. it hit all of the right notes. It is, to me, in my limited film knowledge and experience that I'm growing, was edited beautifully. I'll use a word that I don't use a lot very often, but the pacing was really well done. Um, a lot of this has to do, and I did read in the notes, that, that Jack Nicholson is in every shot of the movie um which kind of which made me giggle because i was saying well if you like humphrey bogart you know you get a whole bunch of bogart and you're like well that's because they're telling the story from his perspective well i had to giggle uh because that's exactly what we're doing when we're we're running around um with jack nicholson's picture uh character in this movie um Everything from I and then I, I do have a question for you because I'm going to make this statement. But one thing that caught me um, that I enjoyed, first of all, the music in it, uh, the score is done masterfully. Uh, all all the right elements never once felt out of place with with some the music and the music is uh, it's sometimes jarring. Um, but the foley, I'm, would they still be doing foley back then? Oh yeah. Okay. So the Foley's done very well too. Um, you know, things like not being synced or he's walking on wood versus a brick or cobblestone. Those are things I'll pick up on because for whatever reason, um, (laughs) I can't look at a word and say it, but I can pick up on that. Um, not enough to, not enough time, especially with what we've got remaining to go, uh, into all of it, but but wow, what a great ride! Uh, the ending is is everything I, I didn't want it to be, but because it was for the wrong reasons, um, and surprisingly, as as we uh, got some feedback from our listeners about Big Jack and Small Jack, I if you had to if I had to watch Cuckoo and then this movie and not know what year it came out, I mm. would say that. Um, Cuckoo came out and then this movie. Um, hmm. I don't know what that means particularly, but uh, I think it's because I think this this particular character uh, required to me um, to have a little more um, roundedness, if if I can even say that, to to the overall character than they did in Cuckoo. You know, Cuckoo to me motivation. I mean, Jack did a, a great job of of showing all those different layers, but I think the angle at which we viewed that was smaller than in this movie where his his number of faces that he has to wear throughout his performance um to me was more varied and i I could be wrong about that Um, i don't i don't think you're wrong in that at all i'm just i'm thinking back on what nicholson was of this era so you had you, so you had these two films, you had five easy pieces, you had the last detail, and you had a Jack Nicholson that was vastly different than today. And it's why I, I will talk to many people about Nicholson, what he became, and 
you know, Jeff and I had a little bit of a discussion about The Shining leading into this that I'm actually not a big fan of the film because of things I heard Stephen King say about it that made me start looking at it and seeing in that performance that I actually, it's almost like what Kubrick did to him in that. Right. Borderline ruined him because it's just, then he became Big Jack and it was just always, hello, you know, all yeah. that garbage he does. Yeah. He doesn't do that here. There, there is a truth to his performance and a, and a fun note. Do you, do you realize who it is that cuts his nose in this film? That's Polanski. I did read up on that. Okay, good. I wondered if you caught that cameo. No, I, of course I didn't. Uh, I went to IMDb afterwards looking for notes to write about, and, and then I had to go back and look. And, and, and I'm ashamed to say, and we don't have to get into it, but I, I read up and I knew that Roman Polanski had some, some negative things uh -huh. happen and i but i never really knew and then i read and i was like wow okay um but he's yes. one of those filmmakers that is incredibly gifted and then you look at his other stuff that he's kind of done in life and you're like dude seriously well and and everything i read on imdb there was a lot of angst and strain and uh it wasn't a very happy set uh, no, I had never heard that. Polanski smashed Jack Nicholson's TV because he, Jack was always watching the Lakers and, and causing delays. I don't know. Um, they argued uh, incessantly about motivation. Uh, I guess there was a scene, and I'm going to forget the actress's name, the lovely uh, main character. Faye Dunaway. Say it again. Faye Dunaway. Yeah, Faye Dunaway. There was a scene where she was supposed to get emo emotional, and she went to the director and you know was just saying hey i need some help and and he lost his temper with her and said uh just read the effing lines let what we're paying you be your motivation um and then you know it, it just seemed like and and granted i mean the movie itself isn't too tense but the funny thing was is uh the guy who um plays the father in it I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and tie this circle up. Anyway, at the time, Jack Nicholson was dating somebody, and that was the daughter of the guy that uh, is the older gentleman in it. Um, he was dating Angelica Houston, whose father is John Houston, who is also the director of Sierra Madre. Right. And there's this scene in the movie where um, the father is talking to Jack, and it's like, hey, are you know, are you are you sleeping with my daughter? And I guess there was some comment about uh, the fact that that in reality that uh, uh, was happening. Hmm. Uh, the other thing that I read that I thought was interesting, and this kind of goes into my background, uh, just with uh, you know adoption and everything. It's not that Jack Nicholson is adopted, but and I'm trying to look it up to make sure I say it right. But in the movie, um, one of the elements of of what causes everything to happen is that the daughter uh, of Faye Dunaway is also her sister, and that was the result of a rape that happened. Mm -hmm. um, well, Which is a, fun, a real funny thing. Anytime my wife is confused, she says, she's my daughter, she's my uh, sister. And I'm like, so <laughs> I can't escape that line. Right. Well, um, and I'm it's on IMDb, and I don't want to eat up a bunch of time trying to find it. But basically, Jack Nicholson found out the same thing after filming the movie. Oh wow! That uh, yes, it was kind of it was kind of hidden in there. And um, um, let me see. Let me give me one second here, and I can try and find it. But basically, 
after filming, um, yes, so uh, shortly after the film was released, Jack Nicholson discovered that the woman he raised, he was raised to believe was his sister, was in fact his mother. He also learned that he was raised to believe the uh, people that he r- was raised to believe were his parents were actually his grandparents. Good lord! So I mean, no Lord, yeah, just having that uh, realization uh, come across. But a great movie. Um, any final words here as we we go ahead and put this one in the can? I'm going to give you one little thing because you mentioned the soundtrack, and I'm going to uh, I'm sorry the score. I'm going yes. to tie this to something else I do in the world. That was written by Jerry Goldsmith, who is one considered to be one of the absolute greats of the score writing world. He, uh, the AFI, also did recognize the greatest film scores of all time, and Chinatown is number nine of the greatest scores ever written. He also holds the 18th place for what is considered to be one of the most groundbreaking scores for its use of arrhythmic and atonal activity, and that's for Planet of the Apes. Oh, <laughs> and that brings up your podcast, uh, Minute of the Apes, yes, which I'm listening to enjoying, and everybody can uh, discover on your favorite uh, podcast software there. definitely. Season two is really good. I'm really enjoying it, and I think part of it's because um, I'm not familiar with that movie at all, and I have not watched it, so I'm really enjoying uh, going through and kind of learning about it with you and, and, and uh, your guys. Well, here's a note. Don't watch the movie. It's not very good. Okay. <laughs> is it better than All About Anne? <laughs> I think I would watch all about Eve. <laughs> oh, Eve. All the way through and watch it in reverse before I had to watch Beneath the Planet. That's the sequel to All About Eve is All About Anne. I'm sorry. I got too confused. <laughs> all right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode, folks. We appreciate your time. Todd, thank you. Have a good good vacation. Um, once again, I'm, I'm really enjoying doing this, and we've... Uh, we're getting there. We're getting there, folks. We're going to do another episode of ten, and then it'll be five and five, and we will be done with this and move on to the next uh, project here at the Other Kind Radio. If you have feedback, comments, please feel free to email us at info at the Other Kind Radio or Jeff at the Other Kind Radio or Todd at the Other Kind Don't forget about the podcast awards. If you have a little extra time, you want to go nominate us, step on over there and do so. That's going to do it from Omaha this week. We'll talk to you next week. We are the other the other kind radio. The other kind.